Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. We are in uh, week four of this series on Firm Foundations. We've been looking at the books of First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus. These are traditionally what we would call pastoral epistles. Um, they're epistles that were written to church leaders, um, apostolic leaders. There were books or letters that Paul wrote to these apostolic leaders about what it looked like for the church to be the church in these communities. Um, I think I've said it every week, but I think it's worth saying again. Paul is not writing to Timothy and Titus um, about what it looks like to put on a good service. Paul's not, Paul's not uh, writing these letters to instruct Timothy and Titus what it looks like to preach a good sermon or to put together a good worship set or to form uh, a good uh, 501c3. All of those things are important. And all of those things have a place and all of those things have value. But the message that Paul is sending with the, these letters, the message that Paul is sending is what it looks like to be the church that makes a difference in those communities. The mission for Timothy and for Titus was to uproot the culture that was in place and to to plant the culture of Jesus Christ in their communities where they were. So they weren't just there to play church. They weren't just there to get together once every couple of days and have some good meetings. They were there to change the culture and the atmosphere of the cities and the regions that they were in. So the firm foundations that we're looking at are some of the, the nuggets that are found in Timothy and in Titus. Now listen, not everything in Timothy and Titus is... Uh, don't read everything in Timothy and Titus and start applying that as a firm foundation. Because there, there is some leadership stuff in there. There's stuff in there about deacons and elders. and So not everything is, is for the church body as a whole. And I recognize that. But there are some things that we've kind of... Um, if I can say reverse engineered. When Paul says to Timothy that you ought to pray and the people ought to pray, we reverse engineered that. If Paul's telling Timothy then the people ought to pray, then we can read that and say we as the people ought to pray. Does that make sense? Okay, so not everything in there is, is for the people as a whole. It's still good to read. It's still good to know. It's still good information. It's in the book. We ought to read it. But some of that stuff in there is a little more weedy, a little more... Um, church leadership stuff, um, but some of the, the nuggets we've been pulling out have been the foundational truths that apply to the body as a whole. So in week one, we talked about prayer. Paul opens up his letter in 1 Timothy talking about prayer, about how the saints and the church are to pray for all people always, and he specifically mentions leaders and those who are in rulership and in authority. We're good at remembering to pray for our leaders and those in authority. We're bad at remembering to pray for all people. Um, we talked about how Polycarp, who was, um, he was basically uh, John, the Apostle John's Timothy. We don't hear much about Polycarp because his writings aren't, uh, we don't have any writings to Polycarp that are canonized. 
if John would have written a letter to his Timothy, it would have been to Polycarp. Does that make sense? He was um, John's Polycarp was John's Timothy. Um, and we talked about how Polycarp, in some of his writings that aren't canonized, but they are historically accurate, he talked about how the church so valued praying for all people that they made it a regular practice every time they gathered together. That it was, it was at the top of the priority list. It wasn't just a check the box at the end as we're headed out the door. That it was actually a top of the priority list thing because they recognized that praying for their city, praying for their region, praying for their leaders actually shifted something in the atmosphere. So in week one, we talked about prayer. In week two, we talked about contentment. Paul tells Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain because some things don't come all all at once. Some things take a while to get there. And Paul recognizes this because he's lived a life where he is stewarding what he's been given and yet he's still reaching for what's ahead of him. But he he recognizes that there's this place in the kingdom where if I reach too far, I'm going to fall. And if I stay stagnant for too long, I'm going to become stale. And so he talks to Timothy about being content with what he has and yet continually reaching for these eternal promises. And then last week we talked about being strong in grace. In 2 Timothy, Paul talks to Timothy about something none of us want to talk about and that's about being strong in grace. And we talked about how strength isn't just an attribute, especially in this time period. It's not just an attribute that's acquired for no reason. Strength is acquired for a purpose. Strength is acquired because strength is needed. And Paul tells Timothy to be strong because there are things that are coming that he's going to need to be strong for. And the mission of the kingdom has to go forward regardless. In other words, just because I'm having a bad day, the mission of the kingdom can't stop. The mission he's given to me can't stop because I argued with my wife before I left for work that day. Or because my kids weren't listening to the instructions I gave them. Or, or because my finances aren't lining up the way I think they should. Like The strength that comes from his grace has to be enough to help me endure the struggles of this life. So that walking with him, I'm able to press ahead for the, for the purpose of the kingdom through life's struggles. Um, Paul goes on to tell Timothy to suffer hardships. He's not telling him to go look for hardships. He's saying that as the hardships of life come, it's okay to say, it's okay to say they're hardships, but inviting Jesus into those hardships gives us strength to walk through them. And then we talked about, um, I'll read these quickly, verse 4 and 5 in 2 Timothy, uh, in 2 Timothy 2. Paul talks about no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. So that he may please the one who enlisted him. And if someone likewise competes as an athlete, he is not crowned as victor unless he competes according to the rules. In other words, Paul says there's a way to live this life. We have been called to march ahead as soldiers for Jesus. We've been called to run this race for him. And if we do so, we get to be the ones, as the next verse says, the hardworking farmer who gets to receive the first share of the crops. So it, it's not that we go looking for the hardships. Paul's, Paul's not saying we go looking for the hardships. He's saying there are going to be some that come. But, but recognizing that and understanding that there's a grace available to walk through those things enables us as a body to represent Jesus to a world that doesn't have everything right. Because if the only Jesus that works for me is the Jesus that works when everything is going right, then that's not a good Jesus for the world. Because the world doesn't have everything going right. I've got to have a Jesus who works for me when stuff isn't going right in my life. 
because the world doesn't have stuff going right in their life. Does that make sense? All right. Is everybody awake? All right. All right. Tonight, let's talk about, let's go to book of, the book of Titus. Tonight, I want to talk about good deeds. Good deeds. Not quite as heavy as being strong through suffering endurance, right? Good deeds. All throughout the book of Titus, Paul talks about good deeds. In chapter 1 of Titus, Paul introduces himself and he gives the qualifications for elders. In chapter 2 of Titus, he, fins, he spends the first six verses talking about how old men, old women, young women, and young men ought to behave in their everyday life. That's the first chapter of Titus and the first six verses of Titus. From chapter 7, or from verse 7 of chapter 2 of Titus all the way through the end of chapter 3, Paul is primarily talking about good deeds. That's uh, 24 verses. And in those 24 verses, Paul talks about good deeds five times, six times if you, t- if you count uh, one time that he talks about good deeds that don't earn us salvation. Paul is giving Titus a formula for what the church ought to look like to radically change the culture of Crete, which is um, idolatrous, which is steeped in pagan religion, which has a ton of witchcraft and and, uh, immorality going on. One uh, theologian wrote that um, when Paul writes the book of Titus, he expected the gospel, even in Crete, to produce real godliness in everyday life. Even in Crete, Paul expected the the gospel to produce real godliness in everyday life. And one of his prescriptions for the gospel producing real godliness was good deeds. Uh, Some of your your translations may say good works. It's the same thing that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5. It is good works. It's literally the same Greek words. It's good works. What are good works? They They are literally the whatever you are putting your hand to. Um, the word for good is beautiful or handsome or approved or excellent or magnificent. And the word for works is, is literally your occupation. It wouldn't be fair to say when Paul talks about good works, he's only talking about praying for the sick or uh, the working of miracles. That wouldn't be fair to say. But it also wouldn't be fair to say that Paul is always not talking about that. Paul is talking about the church doing something in the community, doing something other than just getting together and talking about believing what they believe. He's talking about the group of believers actually putting into action what they say they believe and actually putting action into their faith. James talks about this when he says that faith without works is dead. We know that works don't save us, right? Paul is emphasizing this to Titus That this would be emphasized in the church in Crete. He is emphasizing that the works, the good works that flow out of this relationship that we have with Jesus. Out of this experience that we have. They must represent this relationship and they must make a difference in our communities. Does that make sense? Okay. Paul's... So Paul writes to, let's start in, in chapter 2. We're going we're gonna to skip a few verses, otherwise we'd have to read from verse 7 all the way through the end of the chapter, and I don't want to kill you, so go back and read it later. But we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 7. So Paul has, 
introduced himself. He's given the qualifications for elders. He's talked about the way that old men and young men and old women and young women ought to behave themselves. And now he takes a turn. He actually transitions out of the way that young men ought to behave themselves into this sentence. Because Titus is a young man. So he's saying young men ought to behave themselves a certain way. And then he transitions into this and he says, In all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds. With purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. So again, those good deeds are just whatever you're putting your hand to. Whatever, whatever, you're, whatever you're doing, let it, be a, let it work in such a way that it is an example it is, it is an example so that your opponents will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. The, the, here in Crete, we have the same kind of issue that Paul runs into in a lot of the different circles where there are false teachers and they're accusing the Christians of, of not lining up with the Jewish traditions and not lining up with some of the rules and regulations. And Paul says, listen, here is part of how we fix this. And here's, make, here's how you make sure you're living the way you're supposed to be living. It is to make sure that you're an example of good deeds. This word for example is a pattern, a form, or a type. Now Paul's talking to Titus, who is an example to the church. And I know, look, not all of us are leading a church, and not all of us are apostolic leaders over an island full of churches. But our mission is to be an example of good deeds in wherever we have an opportunity to be an example. If that's at my house, then I'm supposed to be an example of good deeds at my house. If it's at my job, then I'm supposed to be an example of good deeds at my job. If it's, if it's, in my, if it's serving here in this house, if it's in my community, my responsibility is to be an example, a prototype, a pattern or a form of good deeds that whatever I'm putting my hand to, and sometimes that does look like laying hands on the sick and praying that they'd be healed. And sometimes that looks like stopping and asking somebody how they're feeling. Sometimes that looks like, sometimes that looks like, and this, I think this weirds us out in American Christianity, sometimes that looks like giving to the person who's asking, to the person who's in need. Maybe it's financially or maybe it's a, a different need that they're, that they're asking for. Maybe it's, listen, lean on the Lord in that. And I'm not telling you what to do with your money. I'm not telling you what to do with your stuff. Maybe it's somebody asking who's in need financially. Maybe it's giving to that person. Maybe it's stopping and saying a prayer for someone. Maybe it's just asking someone how they're doing. But in whatever I'm doing, I'm called to be an example of good deeds. And Paul says that by being an example of good deeds that I actually put to shame those who would have something bad to say about me. In other words, if I could say it this way, if I don't, if I don't exercise good deeds, he says, he says, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. If I could say it this way, if I have all purity and doctrine, if I'm dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, and I fail to have good deeds, there's still something for the opponent to say about me. There's still something for the world to point out and say, yeah, but. And look, we don't live for the approval of the world. I'm not saying that. But we are supposed to live in it as an example. 
I'm supposed to live my life in a way that points them to Jesus. And if all of my faith is just words, if all of my faith is just talk, if all of my belief is just lip service and it never becomes action, then it actually validates a point of their, it actually validates one of their points of dissension with me and with Jesus. I have to, in order to remove one of those points, in order to stand in the fullness of of my responsibility, I have to put it into action. If I don't, then there is still something, something, as Paul puts it, bad that they have to say about us. In other words, there's still an argument to be made. There is still the people, look, there's always going to be people that have something to say and somebody who's always got, somebody who's always going to keyboard warrior it up, but... But the world, the world has seen enough of the, of the Christians who say that they believe certain things or say that they support certain things and don't put their hand to it or don't put their feet to it or don't put their finances to it. This church for a long time has not been one of those places. We have sent money all throughout this region and all over the world. Because we are a church that believes that it's not good enough for us just to say that oh, we believe that the gospel has to go around the world. We're a church that believes if we pray for the gospel to go around the world, we've got to give it a little oomph sometimes. And sometimes that oomph comes in dollar bills. Like when, when Bishop Tony calls from India and says, we want to build a building right down from the Taj Mahal. And it's going to cost, what was it, $10,000, $12,000. Is there any way that you all could take it before the church? The apostle says, yeah, we're going to do that because we're not just going to give lip service to the gospel because we want to make sure that our actions fall in line with what we're saying. I have to make sure that my life is not just, is it, my faith is not just my words. My actions have to line up with my words. Otherwise, I'm missing a key component. I can have all of my doctrine right. I can have all of the words right. I can have all of the arguments correct. And yet, if I don't have the action to back it up, Paul says, yeah, but the opponents can point at that and say, yeah, but. Yeah, but. I've got to have the action to back it up so that I've done everything in my power. And if they still want to point a finger and pick out the, 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 the little things and, and nitpick, whatever. I've done everything I know to do. But when I add action to my faith and I add good deeds to my faith, then I've done everything I know to do to, to stand in my responsibility of the gospel. Does that make sense? Skip down to verse 11. Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the, pleas- the blessed hope and the appearing of the, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. To purify for himself a for his own possession, a people eager for his own possession, eager for good deeds. The word for eager here is burning with zeal, eagerly desirous of, vehemently contending for a thing. In other words, Jesus... (laughs) Jesus wants a people 
who don't just do good deeds because or good works, if that, if that fits in your vocabulary better, maybe deeds doesn't sit right. I can feel that. Maybe it's good works. Maybe good works fits better with you. He wants a people who don't just do good works because it's on the checklist, but who righteously burn to do good works, who actually are zealous to do good works. His desire is for you to desire to do good works. Well, how in the world do I desire to do good works? It's not natural for me to desire to do good works. Did you know that? It's not natural for you to desire to do good works. Everything about your human nature doesn't want to do things for other people. Everything about your human nature wants to do things for you. It is contrary to my human nature to want to do things for other people. So how do I become a person who is burning with desire to do good works for other people? I read these verses. I, my desire for good works is a response to my consciousness of His grace towards me. My desire for good works is a response of my consciousness of His grace towards me. Paul says that the grace of God appeared and brought salvation to all people. And it is instructing me to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, in a godly manner in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for me. To redeem me from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. The only way that I can burn with the desire to do things for other people is to recognize all that has been done on my behalf. That's the only way. Because if I just in my own nature try to stir up or conjure up a, a zeal to do things for good do good things for people, it'll come some days and other days it won't. I'll have good days and I'll have bad days. And it'll be an emotional ride where on the days where I got my coffee on time and the kids got out the house on time and everything ran right that morning, that's the days where I'll feel like doing things for people. And on the days where the morning routine was messed up, I won't feel like doing things for people. But that's not the way I was meant to live. He's looking for people who are, who are zealous, who are burning to do good works for other people. And it only comes by recognizing the grace that has come to me. Because if grace has come to me, then now there's grace available on me to give away. Grace is never wasted. Grace that comes to me now flows through me. If it comes to me, it now has an opportunity to flow through my life. And if I have received grace from Him, if I have received this immense, immeasurable grace where He has actually ripped me out of this life where I was, I was living in ungodliness and living in worldly desires and living unsensibly and He is actually instructing me. That word for instructing is actually to train a child. He took me like a child and brought me in and taught me to live sensibly. The only reason I know how to live sensibly is because of the grace that He has afforded me. And, that, and recognizing this immeasurable grace that has been afforded to me, it postures me with a heart of gratitude. And out of that gratitude overflows thanksgiving. And that turns into this desire to return that to him, which he says, give away. And that's what it looks like. 
If it's just, I'm going to stir it up, it'll never work. It'll never work. And that, that's largely how we've tried to treat it. We've largely tried to treat it in the church in America like, like, like I'll, I'll stir myself into doing good things. I should do good things because I'm supposed to do good things. I should do good things because doing good things is, is a good thing. Doing good things is, is good. If the Bible says I should do good things, so that's why I'll do good things. That's great, except that's good in theory, except in practice it doesn't work when all hell is breaking loose at home. The only way it works is recognizing that there is a grace that is present and that I have received from that grace and that grace on me now empowers me to give away what I have received. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? And it act, I don't want to go too deep, but it goes, it, goes beyond, it goes beyond just shaking someone's hand and telling them, hey, God bless you. It goes beyond just patting somebody on the back. The testimony of what he has brought me through, the specific grace that has been made available to me, is now the specific grace that I carry and that I am able to give away. The testimony that I carry. The testimony of what he's brought me through, my healing, my miracle, my salvation, the hell that he drug me out of, that testimony. If he brought me out of drugs, then it's drugs that he drug me out of, then it's that testimony that I get to carry and and that grace that I get to give away. If it's a cancer healing in my body, then I carry that grace and that testimony and I get to give it away. And it's a part of the good works and it's a burning inside of me. Not because, well, it would be a good thing to do, but because so much has been done for me, it's only natural. It's only natural that I return the favor. And I'm not actually doing it for, I mean, I am doing it for the person, but in reality, what did Jesus say? If you do it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing it for that person, but when I'm doing it for that person, I'm ministering to Jesus. I'm ministering for, to Jesus because that is, the, that is the, I don't get ahead of myself, but that is the, the, the healing of someone's body is the, is the price that he paid for. And that, that's the price that he paid for. When I'm ministering to someone's broken heart, that's the price that he paid for. And sure, it touches them, but it touches him. It touches him. Skip down to chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, remind them to be subject to rulers, authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to slander no one, to be contentious, to not to be contentious, don't be contentious, to be gentle, showing every consideration for all people. Remind them is to put them in remembrance, to cause one to remember, to recall to mind, to admonish. Paul says to Titus, put them in remembrance. To be ready for every good deed. To be ready for every good deed. In other words, in other words, um, you don't have permission to forget about this part of the assignment. Like, maybe there are some parts of the assignment you can forget about. And you take that up with the Lord, what parts of the assignment that is that you can forget about. Look, not every part of the book is a heaven or hell issue. If there are parts of the assignment you want to let go of, you take that up with Him. This part, you don't have permission to forget about. Because this part, he's, Paul said to Titus, put them in remembrance. Admonish them. Sternly remind them. They have to be ready to do good works. 
Why? Because this is the greatest, uh, outside of a husband and wife, this is the greatest testimony of Jesus in a community. This is the greatest way that Jesus shows up in a community. Paul said, look, the marriage, a marriage between a husband and a wife, it is a, it is a testimony on the earth. It's a mystery, but it's a representation of Jesus and his marriage to the body. So the husband and wife is a representation in the community. That's why the devil hates healthy marriages. That's why he hates healthy marriages. It's a representation of Jesus and his body. It's an, it's an important message in the community of Jesus. And good works are a representation of Jesus in the community. Because most of them out there will never make it in here unless they encounter him out there first. So this has to show up out there. And Paul says to Titus, they don't have permission to forget about this part. They, maybe they can forget about some of the other parts. Take that up with the Lord. Maybe they can forget about some of the feasts or some of the, some of the other things. Take that up with Jesus. But this part, you have to admonish them. You have to sternly remind them that they have to remember to be ready for good works. That word for ready is to be prepared. Um, in other words, you can't just show up on the scene and start praying for the sick. Right? It, it takes preparation. And that preparation... Can I tell you, it doesn't happen here. That preparation happens in a closed door, in a closed room somewhere with the door shut where nobody else is around. It happened for Jesus on a mountain when the twelve weren't even around, when the three weren't even around. That kind of preparation has to take place because God won't pour out what he hasn't been able to pour in. And Paul says that Paul says to Titus that they have to remember that they have to be ready for good works. Not just that they have to do good works, but they have to be ready for good works. That means that, that I have to make sure that I am filled up so that when the opportunity presents itself, that he's able to pour me out. So that when the opportunity shows up, if it's, if it's a, hey, God bless you and he loves you, then, I, man, I'm ready for it. If it's a, hey, lay hands on the sick and, and let's see if they'll recover, then I'm ready for it. If it's a, you know, cast out demons, let's go for it, man. It, whatever it is, I've got to make sure I'm filled up in the private place so that in the public place, he can pour me out. It's not enough to just say, it's not enough to just recognize that, that yeah, good works, are a part of, good works are a part of this thing. I've got to make myself ready. And it's not enough for me to say, like, I come to church on Sundays and I come to church on Wednesdays, and so I'm making myself ready. That's great. And that's a part of it. And being in a community is a part of it. But most of the preparation happens in private. Most of the preparation happens in private. All right, I got to hurry a little bit. <clears throat> yeah, you can do whatever you want. It's your house. If I want to say something, I need to do it while it's at the place, you know. Um, and this is beautifully prepared and ministering right in the wheelhouse of what we're about to do. Um, in the 1800s, uh, there were a lot of people that were coming out of New York and other places, and there were 
lots of people coming through into Clark County and through. Uh, but it was a difficult uh, place. You know, it was a difficult journey. And uh, it, was, it was so difficult that the people that were trying to get through those mountains. Does anybody live toward the southern part of Clark County? Um, just anybody? Do they throw you all out? <laughs> all out? Um, but what I'm saying, though, is that we have to make a declaration. And we're going to arise, and we're going to use what God has taught us for 40 years. And we're going to kick the devil out of Clark County. Now, there may be somebody here and there that open a little crack, and they'll get something. We'll help them out. If they mess up a little bit, it's, it is. It's okay. But I want you to know that this is real. These are not, you know, cartoons, and they're not just uh, movies that are exciting. This is life and death and, and the, the kingdom of, of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And we know the result. The result is, is that we win, that the kingdom of heaven overcomes the, uh, the, the, in, the hope that the enemy wants. Uh, I've, for the last five or ten years, we've been having uh, a lot of battles, uh, battles that the doctors could not explain. And, uh, you know, we recognize, okay, this is not a natural thing. And so things have uh, come on. Uh, they were concerned with some things uh, uh, at, at the brain, and they did find one. Uh, and so the, uh, the, the doctor, the number one man in all of America, uh, got to see my brain scan. And he said, you know what I see? He said, I see a healthy 59-year-old brain. Yes. Yes. It's, she said, it's legal now. Okay, and uh, and that is powerful, and uh, but we we the government's not going to go where we're going to go to get rid of these these devils. About 1885, as people were coming in those mountains, uh, and there's uh, if you stay there very long, you'll see rock just fall down, you know, uh, from from all of that, and. Um, I'll give plenty of uh, for notice, uh, but I need people to to go with me uh, to that place. We are going to kick the devil out of there. We're going to uh, declare that. See, this is a, a demon. A demon took an ident identity in it. And the demon took the identity of the uh, uh, the something of, of the devil. Come on, help me. Backbone, the backbone of Satan. Okay, 
that's, that's their existence. We're going to break the backbone of the devil. And we're going to do that not just for our church, not just for the people of this region. Uh, I don't know if you know, uh, Winchester's not a very big uh, town, but it's a very big drug town. It's a very big uh, crime. Politics sometimes gets out of whack. But we are not going to let this go further. We're going to declare that the backbone of Satan is broken. And we're going to do that right there at the bottom of the, the hill there. And uh, when we get there, you'll understand what, <laughs> how, how rough that is, you know. And, um, and I, I, pre- I appreciate, you know, God is moving here. And um, Pentecostals uh, are uh, excitable people. And I am too. And I am a Pentecostal person. And... Uh, but it's more than the excitement. We've got to go to war. There is an armor that was brought out of the Word of God. And we need to be wearing that armor wherever that we go. And so I've already went longer than I intended. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, I believe there will be a tangible difference. And I'm praying for a very tangible revival, not one that we just, oh, who, who could come to revival? We're going to let God come to revival. And so, well, that is true, yeah. The, the title of the apostle, um, an apostle is one who was sent. There is no... Uh, there's, there's nothing anybody could say except that uh, God brought me here. He brought me here. And uh, Lula Holman knew that before she died. And Essie Walling, her uh, teacher, they began to pray uh, on Sunday nights years ago, to pray for the services. Lula was just a young lady, and uh, Essie Walling was an older lady. And they prayed for seven weeks. And I was told this eye to eye. Okay, this is, wasn't hearsay. Lula told me this story. And um, on the seventh night, um, Lula came in, and Essie Walling said, we're not going to pray tonight. And she said, well, why? And uh, Sister Walling, Essie Walling said, uh, she said that uh, the backbone was broken. Hmm. Yes, yeah. That was a different story, wasn't it? Uh, the burden has been li- lifted. And 
I mean, it was crazy kind of thing. They were praying for God to send a man into this church. At, in their estimation, they were good people, but they needed a move of God. They needed to accept the power of God. And so we need to reinvigorate that as well. The, uh, the backbone of this thing is going down. And the fire that's coming is a Holy Ghost fire and what God is going to do. And uh, we're very grateful. It is so, they were, pray, they were praying for a man. Okay, I want you to know. Uh, Leila Kinley, if she heard me say that three times. Um, the night before the last week, Um, Lawton and Brenda Hall had a boy in the middle of that week and they were coming preparing coming home to uh, take their son their new son Lula looked at me telling this story she said, Pastor Hall, we knew that we were praying for a move of God and a spirit of God, but we always we were all also praying for God to send a man that would move in the power of the Holy Spirit and impact this region in a great way. They brought me out of the hospital. Um at two, get the rest. It was that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing because uh, I was born. She was saying they're looking for a man, and then when Essie Walling came, that uh, she began to steer this thing, and then Lula got on board of it, and she looked at me, and she said, I, I never imagined that God literally sent us a man, but you can't send men before they are children. God took time to groom me to become prepared to a mission that I had no idea what it was or the scope of what it was. And so we've got this. If you've got this, if you've got that connection with God, if you are hearing from the Lord and allow God to do things that are just almost impossible to, to any, you know, to anything, uh, any way out. Uh, they started calling me an apostle uh, before the church did, um, back years ago, Corey Barker identified that within me. And every now and then I call him and thank him for that. We are going to destroy every product of the enemy that we can. And we're going to replace that with the victory with a move of God, with a move of God.
And so I believe that even this, that God purposed tonight to put this in order. And let's, let's do it. Let's go in and do what God wants to do in this era. God wants to save the people of this city and the people of this region. Uh, he's not here to make us famous. And believe me, as long as I've been in here, I'll tell you, there ain't a whole lot of fame in it. <laughs> but it's all right as long as he knows, you know, it's all right. I'm going to say a quick prayer. Father, I just thank you for just this moment, and uh, we'll give him another 10 or 15 minutes later. <laughs> but uh, next week, next month, whatever you got. <laughs> I believe that you have raised this up at this town and, and at this time, Father. I've been praying this week. And I believe that God is ready to break the backbone of that demon that took the name uh, that he was, oh, uh, how do you say it? The backbone, the backbone of Satan. God wants us to break the bone, the backbone. And when that happens, there's going to be revival. It's going to be a great, great revival. And let's just prepare for it. And uh, we've got all that we need within this house. And the people are with us. We know that. We're grateful for that. It's time to take another level. And we're going to set it up, and I'll, I'll let you know a good week in, in advance. Okay? Let's, let's have a revival. <laughs> but let's do what God has already petitioned for, for this night. Amen. sent. He is one who is sent from a place to another place to change the place he is going to, to look like the place he is sent from. In other words, an apostle is not just somebody on vacation, and he's not just somebody on a trip. He's somebody sent with a mandate, and he's somebody sent with authority, and he's somebody sent with power, and he's somebody sent, not just he, he or she, that person is sent with a with a mandate from heaven to change the place they're in to look and sound and feel like heaven. It's not just to have good church. It's not just to have good services. Those better be a part of it. But it's to make the place they're sent to look like heaven. Our apostle has been sent to this city and to this region. And it's not just to fill these seats. If our if our measuring stick for success is the number of butts in seats, we'll miss it. But if our measuring stick is on earth as it is in heaven, we'll never miss it. Our measuring stick has to be right. 
you can be doing the right thing and measuring it the wrong way and think that you've got it completely wrong. We have to recognize that the measuring stick is to make the city and the region look like heaven. And he'll sort out whatever happens from there. Our job is to do what he's called us to do and let him sort it out from there. And if he puts 2,000 people in here, fine. And if he puts 200 people in here, fine. He probably don't want to pastor much more than 200 people anyway. Pastoring 200 people. <laughs> Pastoring 200 people is probably about as much as he wants to pastor. All right, I'm going to pray and then let's go. Father, we thank you that you have a mandate for this city and this region. I thank you that you haven't sent your apostle empty-handed, but you've sent him with papers as an ambassador from heaven on assignment with the full breadth and authority and power of heaven. And you've sent him to impart into sons and daughters and into this house and into the lives of the peoples that he touches so that this house, this city, and this region can look and sound and feel like you want it. Father, we thank you that Winchester isn't there yet and Central Kentucky isn't there yet, but we thank you that you're moving. We can't see it yet and we don't feel it yet, but Lord, we recognize that there's something in the atmosphere that's stirring. And we thank you, Father, that the power of the Holy Spirit is enough that every demonic assignment, every principality and every power must bow to the power that is in us, to the power of the assignment that is on this house. And we thank you, Lord, that we will see the fullness of the mission and the promise that you've given to us, Lord. We ask that you would continue to come and visit us in deep and in powerful ways. Lord, visit this people. Go with them to their houses. Visit them in the midnight hour, Lord. Wake them up in the middle of the night. Visit them in their dreams, Lord. Speak to them, Lord. Talk to them. Put dreams and visions in their hearts for their spheres of influence, Lord. Talk to them about what you want to do in their families and in their jobs and in their businesses. And Lord, we just ask that you'd meet us here again this weekend. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.